Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Forer, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the Parent Sense app, and catch Meg here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Hello, and welcome to everyone joining us for the very first Parent Sense podcast with Meg Forer. I'm Bailey Georgiadis, and Meg, I cannot tell you how much I have been looking forward to this episode. First of all, welcome to the world of podcasting, yet another feather in your cap. And I'm really excited to chat to you because this episode is all about getting to know the woman and the mom behind the app, the OT practice, numerous entrepreneurial pursuits, and so much more. How often do we really get to know the people who, like Meg, share their expertise with the world? So I'm really looking forward to our time together today. We've asked moms and dads to send us their questions about whatever is on their mind, and you've done just that. So thank you. There are some great ones, and this podcast is going to be as close as you get to a parenting manual. So Meg, shall we kick it off? Thank you, Bailey. So lovely to be here with you and for you to be on my very first podcast with me. It really is super. An absolute delight and an honor. So thank you so much. Tell us about your background. Yeah, so I'm actually an occupational therapist, and I think a lot of people, when they first hear the word, they don't even know what OTs do. But OTs are actually um, trained to be able to solve problems for almost any condition that causes people not to be functional in life. So for instance, if you had a spinal cord injury and you were paralyzed, an OT could work with you to make you functional You know, with, with your paralysis. How I've adjusted it is I've looked at parenting, and I've really seen that It's not a period of dysfunction in people's lives, but it's a new space in which a lot of people feel like they're in really murky waters and don't know really what they are supposed to be doing, getting their children to sleep, getting their children to feed, and so on. And so I really am a problem solver for the parenting journey, I guess, as an occupational therapist. So why did you decide then to specialize in babies? I've just always had a passion for little ones. It was really, I guess it was actually my calling. And, you know, when I first went to university, I did everything in my power to try and make sure that every block or every practical that I was given was actually with little ones and from children. So from 12 years and down. And that is actually how it materialized. I worked at Red Cross Children's Hospital in the Burns Unit. I worked at Vista Nova School for Disabled Children, again, in the Western Cape. And then straight after graduating, I went to work at a pediatric rehab hospital in New York. And that's really where I started to hone my skills as a parenting expert, or as really as a childcare expert, I guess. I think that is so fascinating. So what gets you excited about working with parents? Oh, that's really interesting. So I always thought I only wanted to work with babies. And certainly when I was working, for instance, at Blasdale Children's Hospital in America, um, I was working just with children and not their parents. When I came back to South Africa, I started to work in private practice with children with learning disabilities. And really early on, I started to notice we, we take these clinical histories from the parents and they would say, my baby was very fussy, my baby didn't sleep well. And so there were all these kind of items in their history that really indicated that things were going wrong at an earlier age. And that was when I started to think, hold on, I don't just want to work with the older child with ADHD or autism or whatever. I want to work with babies. But what happens when you start to work with babies is that actually the parents are doing most of the work because you're only seeing the baby for an hour a week as a clinical therapist. 
And then you're giving the mom home programs to take home and do with their little ones. And so increasingly, I started to work with moms. And that was before I had my own children. And then I had my own firstborn and I went through such an upheaval. And I definitely, you know, that I guess more than anything was what charted my path was becoming a mom and realizing how you feel because you feel completely at sea. You don't know what's going on. There's no, there are no answers. And every time there is an answer, it contradicts another one. And I suddenly started to realize, hold on, my background of actually assisting parents with home programs would work really well in the parenting space. And so it was after James was born that I started to move into the parenting space and just work with parents really. It's so fascinating how often the the parent we think we are before children versus the parent we are when we actually have them, and it completely changes perspective. It totally does. I mean, I, I think that I've it's etched in my memories. I have very deep and close memories, emotional memories to how those early days were, particularly with James, with my firstborn. Where I, I mean, I can remember barely. I'd get to six o'clock in the evening, and I would feel teary tired, like I can't do another night. I can't get up in five yeah. hours time. You know, just after I've fallen asleep. I have a very close relationship with my mum. And, and I remember her saying to me, just get into bed really early. It's going to be okay. You'll be all right. And she almost had to coach me through that you know, perinatal period where I was feeling at such a loss. And those memories are very clear for me. And I think that's what makes me connect with the mums that I work with because I've walked the journey they've walked. With you being an occupational therapist, why is that significant in the work that you do? Yeah, so that was also very interesting was when I started to specialize when I lived in America, I specialized in something called sensory integration. And sensory integration is a very specific part of OT. I actually did sensory integration and neurodevelopmental therapy. So those are my two tools that I use a huge amount of the moms I work with. Now, what sensory integration does is it says that almost every behavior, whether it's sleep or feeding or almost anything that happens in our lives and in our parenting journey, it actually can be taken back to the infant senses. And so I had that base of knowledge. So when James was born and, and Alex, my second born, I would say to my husband, okay, stop making eye contact for a little bit now. James is getting overstimulated. Or it's the end of the awake time, so his sensory thresholds are low. Let's help him wind down to sleep and so on. And so I set him up with routines and so on very much based on sensory integration. And mm. it was Philip who, I mean, he's always been my partner in everything I've done, who eventually said to me, my husband, he, he said to me, Meg, imagine a mom who doesn't have this information at her fingertips. Imagine trying to navigate early parenting without an understanding of the sensory world of babies. And so it was actually just after Alex, my second born was born, that he said, you've got to now write this down. And that was how I wrote the book Baby Sense, which was the first book. That is incredible. So you founded the very successful Baby Sense company until selling the business in 2014. Tell us about that journey. Yeah, so I mean, it's quite funny. So after Alex, my second born was born, I desperately wanted to lose some weight and get back to my pre-pregnancy weight. And so I would go to gym every, you know, twice a week and I would be on a treadmill next to a woman who was kind of running next to me. And one day she looked over, we'd see each other every week. Her name was Sandy. And she said, so what do you do? And I said, um, oh, I'm writing a book bearing in mind I hadn't put one <laughs> word down yet. And she said, what's your book about? And I said, it's about the sensory world of babies and how it impacts their sleep, crying, colic, you know, feeding and so on. And she said, oh, well, I'm an editor and no. I think my publisher would love to hear about this. And so it was about a week later that I met up with Volsia Metz, who was the publisher of my first book. 
baby sense. And I gave her the outline. I said, look, this is what it's about. And she said, let's do it. And I've always said that my books take nine months to write. It's almost to the date from the day you put one, your first pen to paper or, or, you know, start typing for the first time until it lands up in your hands is exactly the length of a, of a pregnancy. Wow. And it's amazing. It's been like that for all eight books. And, and so, yeah, so, so when I, when I wrote the first book, um, it was really just about uncovering what went on for the baby's um, world. And, and when it was published, it was so funny, Bailey. I can remember saying to my husband, you must go into every exclusive books and buy every single copy because then it looks like it's popular because I don't know if this is a successful book or not. And of course, as it turned out, it ended up, we went into reprint after one month and it became a bestseller very quickly. That is absolutely incredible. I mean, who would have thought that is complete serendipity meant to be. So you are a best-selling author. You've co-authored eight parenting titles. You must be so incredibly proud. How do you go about choosing your co-authors? Ah, oh, no, I always choose somebody cleverer than me in the room. So just like Bailey, mm-hmm. you here with me on this podcast, because you much better <laughs> at me than this, I make sure that there's always somebody who's better and stronger than me. So my first book was co-authored by Anne Richardson. She's a, a midwife and she just was really, really amazing with the way that she was able to establish gentle routines for babies. And I knew that was what was needed. I've subsequently gone on to write with um, a pediatrician, um, Simon, Dr. Simon Strawn. I've had a pediatric dietitian, Kath McGaw, who's been involved in three of my books. So she was involved in Feeding Sense, Weaning Sense and Allergy Sense. And then with mm. Allergy Sense, we had, a, had to have an allergologist on it as well. So we um, chose one in, in Cape Town as well. So we've really always had, I've always had somebody who knows more than I do on a subject. I am able to take deep science and articulate it really sensibly for parents. And that's my magic. So I do bring the sensory, but it is more about being able to communicate and make it practical for parents. That is um, probably what I bring to the party. Well, you have chosen incredibly, incredibly well. So you decided to create all of this after becoming a mom. What is the hardest part about being a working parent, especially when your kids were so little? And really, I think the million dollar question is how did you manage to juggle it all? Yeah, so that is the hardest. I'm a perfectionist and I wanted to do mothering really properly. And that for me meant being very much involved in my children's lives. So I guess I said no to some things as, as, as I went through life because it was a priority that, you know, if my kids weren't at school, I was with them. I used my mornings only. I'm a supreme prioritizer and delegator. So once my kids were at school, I, worked insane, insanely. When I set up the um, Baby Sense company, which is a baby product company, that was probably one of the hardest times in terms of the juggle because I had James, who was seven, Alex, who was five, and newborn Emily and a brand new business. And six weeks into the business, I'll never forget, I was sitting in my lounge breastfeeding Emily uh, when my uh, partner came in. She co-founded Baby Sense with me and she resigned. She said to me, I'm sorry, but you know, the pace is too much. And I looked at her and I said, well, you actually just can't resign. I've got a six week old baby, you know? And she kind of gave me another three months and then eventually resigned. And I think that for me, that was really, really rough. I used to work, um, I I used to work in the mornings. And then when I put the kids down at seven o'clock in the evening, I would work through until about one o'clock in the morning. And then I, and then when Emily woke up at um, four or five in the morning for her morning feed, I would then get up for the day and, and continue to work. And there were some dark patches there. It was really, really hard. 
there were also times, and I know every working mom will have this um, as well, where I thought, gosh, if this business doesn't do really well, have I sacrificed my children's early years for it? So there was a lot of guilt associated with that. Am I missing those very important moments? But I think I, I managed to juggle it. Looking back now, I don't regret anything that I did then. My, my kids are amazingly well-balanced. They are, they, I mean, I'll never forget one saying to Emily uh, when she was about 11 years old, I said, Em, I'm sorry that mom has to work so hard. And she looked at me and she said, do you work, mommy? And I, no. <laughs> and I realized, okay, I've actually managed to get this one sorted because she didn't oh, even know that so I was funny. working because I was there for her in the afternoons. So yeah, look, at the juggler's real. But I think that makes you so relatable because you have been there and you have got it so right. Do you ever feel pressure to be this perfect mom because of the work that you do? Do you feel that there is this pressure of people watching you to see what you do and almost waiting to see if you would mess up? I don't know if that makes any sense. It totally does. So I'll tell you absolutely honestly, it's the reason why I didn't write Toddler Sense with Anne. So after I wrote Baby Sense, about a couple of years later, Anne decided to write Toddler Sense. And she came to me and she said, would you like to write it with me? And I said, look, my kids are not through the toddler years yet. And so I don't want to write about it yet because they could be a complete nightmare and then everybody mm. will be pointing fingers. So I didn't write toddler sense and I haven't written teen sense for the same reason because I'll write it once I know that I actually got, got it all right. But in all seriousness, I think it did add some pressure. Um, even, you know, I can remember when Emily was born, I got an email from my mom saying, Meg, this is going to be so easy for you because you've written all the books on it and you're this is your third baby. And yet Emily came out marching to her own tune. She was my only Caesar baby. She had lactose intolerance. She she really was at, at times in the early days a challenge. And I felt completely at at sea. And and I then wrote a blog where I talked about motherhood being the great leveler. And I think, you know, that's the big thing. It doesn't matter if you're a pediatrician, if it doesn't matter if you're an OT who's written two books and a bestseller, every baby is new, is different, and every journey is the same. It's tricky. It really is hard. And that is why this podcast is going to be so wonderful because it really is as close to a parenting manual as you can get. So we've got some questions that have come in from mums and dads, and I think this is going to be really helpful going forward in your podcast. This is really access to you, Meg. Did uh, you plan the space between your children's births and how did you decide how much time to leave between them? So I did plan it. I wanted uh, about a two-year gap and that felt to me to be the right amount of time because I would have a toddler who was old enough to share me and he would be young enough to be able to be close to his sister. Um, out of interest, they are two peas in a pod um, and are joined at the hip and are have almost, I mean, people have almost mistaken them for twins because they look very similar as well. Wow. Um, mm. And they're best friends. They really are. So that part worked out. I think the two-year period, though, is a little tight. And I can remember years later reading an article on the best age gap between children. And it was actually three years, three months was the kind of really ultimate um, age gap because the ba- the toddler's old enough, you know, to understand more and the mom has kind of had more time for respite and to kind of regroup. So they said three years, three months, but I don't know if that's, um, if that's true, but I did two years. And then my next baby, my third baby, I never had because my husband just did not want a third. He just said, no, we're not going to have one. And eventually okay. we um, kind of five years, that, that's why there wasn't a two year gap again because I really wanted four. And then after that, I said to him, listen, I am, I'm tired of contraception. If you want, if you um, don't want another baby, you need to go for a vasectomy now. And he said, okay, one more. And so I got my third baby who I, ah. I've always called her my bonus baby, but that's why the gap for her was so big. 
Okay. So fascinating. Really? You would have done four? Oh, I love, I love little ones. I still do. I, I, they, <laughs> they bring me so much joy. I definitely would have had four. So what advice would you give new parents who are adjusting to life with a newborn and, and especially if your relationship is suffering a bit for it? Mm, okay. Well, first of all, your relationship is going to suffer. So, you know, I think that I love my husband more with each child being born, but it brought more tension to our relationship, each child being being born as well. You know, it just is a, it's a crazy, crazy period of your life. You start to compare how much you're doing with the other person. Like, I'm sure I've changed more nappies. I'm sure I've been up early in the morning more than you have. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, because the load feels unbearable for you, it does for your husband or your partner as well. And, but it, you kind of move into the space of comparing what you're each doing. So the pressure is immense. My advice would be a couple of things. First of all, you must share the load. And, you know, I think dads are amazing at doing that now, you know, or should I say moms, if the moms are the primary caregiver, the primary caregivers are amazing at sharing the load. I do think ultimately at the moment, moms still carry most of the load, even when they are the breadwinners. I think it's, it's just what ends up happening and it's maybe what society's put on us or maybe our own expectations. But you definitely need to share the load. Um, you also need to be really, really gentle with each other. So it's, um, and with yourself, you know, take away expectations, build each other up, tell each other how, what a great job you're doing. Because for both parents, it's the first time either of you are doing this. And so building each other up is an important thing. And don't be critical. And I can remember my mom saying this to me early on, and it's a piece of advice I often give is uh, don't criticize the stuff that your partner does because otherwise they'll just stop doing it. And so if he puts the nappy on back to front, or the diaper on back to front, just tell him he's done a great job. You know, go and change it yourself later if you need to, or or show him next time when you're standing next to him. But don't be critical because when you're critical, you end up alienating people and then you are literally left with the baby. That is so incredibly true. And I remember friends often saying, oh, my husband just doesn't pull his weight. But actually in the beginning of of it all, he was trying and was constantly criticized. Mm -hmm. And eventually men just go, oh, well, then you do it. Exactly. And it becomes that horrible cycle almost. Exactly. So just not being critical of your partner, not being critical of yourself is important. Such good advice. What was your favorite baby stage? Oh, six to nine months for sure. (laughs) I'll tell you why. why. Very specific. It's a very specific stage. So six months old, 90% of babies start to sit independently then. And by nine months old, most babies are crawling. And from crawling until 18 months, so from about nine months to 18 months is just absolute chaos in a home because you've got a little one who's on the move who is actually quite dangerous to themselves and you've got to be on your feet all the time watching them protecting them covering up you know stopping them from pulling the dog's tail whatever it is you know it's 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 really really busy and they have no sense of danger either so up until 18 months of age it's really hard Uh, and then from naught to six months it's quite a navigation because um each stage from naught to six months is brings really quite significant challenges the naught to three month old period is generally a more fussy period. Plus we don't know what the hell we're doing. So like we totally yeah. lost. And then we move into the weaning stage where it just feels like we feeding every two hours, you know, like there's kind of a milk and then a solids and how do I make it? And there's the conflicting advice. And obviously our little one is wanting to be carried around all the time with us. So there's a lot of demands, but it's six to nine months. Oh my gosh, they are cute. They are engaged. They are they are having fun with their with their little toys, you know. And so it's a much easier stage, I think, than the other stages. Oh, you almost make me want a third. 
Almost. It's very precious. And then having said that, I mean, I've got good friends here near me. I actually had four friends who gave birth in the last month and holding and cuddling those little ones, the, those heads that smell just like newborn babies. Oh. So, I mean, that newborn stage is very precious, but I think it's overshadowed by the fatigue and the, and the oh my gosh, what am I doing some of the time? Meg, what is the one thing you wish you had known before becoming a mother? Wow. Um, so I guess I, I wish I'd known how insecure and how how it would rock my world. You know, um, there's a term for it. We call it matrescence, which is like adolescence when you're going from being a tween to an adult. That's adolescence. Matrescence is going from being a woman to being a mother. And that period of matrescence is... I mean, for me, it was a really, really massive shift. And it was something that I actually dealt with over a very long period of time. For me, and it's different for other moms, I think for me, my hallmark negative emotion was anxiety. So I would feel very anxious about my baby's sleep safety or about could they choke or about if if we were on the boat, would they fall off and drown? You know, just... It was never ending for me. And I think that for me has been the biggest challenge, you know, is, is just... Yeah, really. And that I'd wish I'd known is just how anxious I would feel. And then understanding that actually a lot of that anxiety is stuff that you don't have to be anxious about. And, you know, I was chatting to a pediatrician the other day and he said 90% of the doctor's visits in his practice are for well babies who don't need to see him. That's 90%. Wow. That is high. Uh, it's massive. And when, I, when he said that, I realized, well, that's anxiety. That's like, mm-hmm. you know, your baby's crying. Have they got meningitis? Your baby has not eaten today. You know, have they got, a, have they got pneumonia, but, yeah. but they were just having a low, low day of appetite. So you know, I think for me, the anxiety is the thing that I, I wish I'd known that I, that was going to come with motherhood. Where do you get your energy from to take on so much? Please share your magical secrets. <laughs> so I, I guess I am blessed with having just a naturally very high energy level for everything. I, I always have been. I, I love my mind loves to be busy. My body loves to be busy. My I'm, I'm socially, I love to engage with people. So I, I guess I naturally have a high energy level. In terms of how do I recharge it, I've always had this little adage that I've always teach my kids as well, which is work hard, play hard. So when I'm working, like I'll, I'll work a 10-hour day without thinking about it and, and love every minute of it. And obviously I'm energized by my work because I, I love what I do. Yeah. But when I go down, like I go properly down. I will not, if I, if we're aware on holiday and I've told my, my business that I've, you know, I'm going to be out of offline, I'll literally turn off my phone. I won't check my emails. So I think having significant periods of downtime are also important. Um, that good chunks of holiday. And we've always prioritized that. And then also my, my favorite play partner is my husband. So we go, we go away quite a bit together, like for a weekend and, you know, and relax and do something different. We love traveling. And so that energizes me as well. And keeps my energy up for work. So I think it's a combination of all that. And then I have quite serious 5am discipline. So I get up, I do my exercise, I do my meditation or my prayer, depending on what I feel like doing that day and, and eat well. And so I I guess, yeah, I, I guess taking care of my physical foundations is something that gives me physical energy. You are incredibly inspiring. So I have to ask, what is your favorite childhood memory of your parents and family life? I guess that would have to be um, going on holiday. We, you know, we used to go down. We had a, a little house that we used to visit on the on the south coast of South Africa in KwaZulu Natal now, and we used to go there every year. We didn't own it; we used to rent it. And those periods of just long, lazy times on the beach would definitely be part of what would be my favorite childhood memories. Yeah, I think it is holidays for me. 
What advice would you give your daughters about having children one day? So I would first of all tell them not to be too hard on themselves because I think that I think that we're just so hard on ourselves as mums. We really are. We set very very high standards and I think that would be my first thing. It would be the same advice I'd give to every mum who I speak to. The other thing that I know I will be telling them and I actually wrote a blog on it and I've shared it quite widely is that when you have a second child you can love another one and your love for your first one doesn't go away. And I think that for a lot of moms, when you're pregnant with your second child, you think, how can I love this one? You know, as much as I love Mm -hmm. my first one, or what happens if I don't love my first one as much anymore when this one arrives? And it's just incredible how much you really do love each baby. You know, every single one, they have different, uh, they bring different things to your life and you do just love them more and more. So I think those would be the two things. Don't be too hard on yourself. Oh, and definitely, oh, Bailey, 100% protect your marriage. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, your kids will leave your homes and, and we're, we're definitely looking towards that in the next couple of years. And you want to know that the person who you're going to spend your rest of your life with is somebody you've invested in. And so investing in your marriage um, all the way through is very important. And in fact, our children, the three of them know that we are more important to each other than they are to us. So, and that's important. Kids need to know that the base from which they come is utterly stable. And that only happens if you are prioritizing your partner. And it's, it sounds counterintuitive because it sounds like you, your child should know that they're the center of your world, but actually your child should know that your partner is the center of your world. And when they know that, they know that their base is secure. And they also know that they don't hold the keys to your happiness because, you know, which is a huge responsibility to have huge. as a child. And so definitely um, nurture your marriage. And I mean, my biggest wish would be as a granny one day, it would be actually to provide that for my children, that they would have enough free time to be able to spend time investing in their marriage. And I, my goal is to provide that space. It's actually what my mom and my mom-in-law did for me. They made sure that if we wanted to go away or if we wanted to go on a date or whatever it was, that they could step in. And I think it's the biggest gift um, a mother Mm. can give her daughter is to just give her the breathing space to focus on her marriage too. I think that is incredible. I mean, I remember seeing somewhere that said, just remember you are husband and wife first before you are mom and dad. Exactly. That's so true. And you will be husband and wife Afterwards. Afterwards. Totally. Yeah. So did your husband change nappies then on that note? Oh yes. Oh yes. Well, I don't think he had much of a choice. He was thrown in the deep end, but I think he, I think he jumped in with both feet. He is an unbelievably hands-on dad. You know, I think again, I think, and people listening might think, gosh, okay. So Meg, you had two moms and a husband who were all hundred percent involved. But I will say, look, I, obviously I, they are very special people, all three of them. But I would say to moms that you need to actually make that happen. You know, you need to, like my mother-in-law, I made sure that she was fully integrated into our family. And I know you have Bailey as well. Yeah. And because you actually want your children to love other people as much as they love you so that you get some respect. So yes, he changed nappies. He also, um, we had a, a rule which has become a something that I recommend to new moms. In fact, it will be coming up in an upcoming podcast is that um, dads do the early morning stuff. So anything after 5 a.m. was his job. I got to sleep in until 8. And we did that um, for, for all three of our children until they were at school going age because I just needed to know that I had three hour, a good three-hour stretch in the morning. So good. You've got to find what works for you. I love that. Hmm. What was your favorite part of being pregnant? Oh, I just, I know this is crazy, but I love being pregnant. I, I loved all three of my pregnancies. I put on way too much weight. I was hugely uncomfortable, but the fact that I was nurturing a life was like, it made me feel like, I, I don't know, it made me feel so good. I mean, the worst parts of my pregnancy with James, I had 
absolutely horrific heartburn, like so bad that if anything white, like white bread or a white roll, if I could even smelt it, the heartburn would start. It was just terrible. So I did have those type of um, pregnancy um, kind of niggles, definitely. But I love being pregnant because I felt like it was, I don't know, I felt so special that I was, I had, I could nurture this life. So I did love being, being pregnant. I didn't love the the weight gain. Obviously nobody does. And particularly my first baby, I was underweight when I fell pregnant with him. So I put on 17 kilograms with him. So on my body at that time, it felt like a lot of weight to carry around. And what led you to start Playsense? Yeah. So, I mean, I've had various businesses that I've started as I've gone along through this journey. So after writing the first book, I started the Baby Sense Company, which was a baby product company, um, which is still going. I sold that business in 2014 to other owners. So I'm no longer involved in that business at all. And I then went on to write the other books. And about 14 months after I sold Baby Sense, I was looking for something new to do. And I must tell you, Bailey, when I sold Baby Sense, it was like a piece of me had been cut out. Baby Sense was my identity. It was how people knew me and it was what I knew myself to be. And so when that business got sold, the pain and the anguish that I went through, um, I saw a psychologist Mm. for a while. It was really, really hard. When I came out of that trauma of of selling the business, I then was looking for something new. And I was at the time, I've always been, I've always taught therapists and I was teaching a course to therapists and a girl called Laura Schoenfeld approached me and she said to me, look, would you like to start and formalize PlaySense with me? Which PlaySense, interestingly, was actually started when my firstborn was two years old because he hated going to nursery school. And he, he cried every morning when I sent him to creche or nursery school. And so after about three months, I stopped sending him and I started, I had no pair and I got six like-minded parents and I said, come, let's actually look after our babies together with an au pair. And so when we had that au pair, that was actually how I started PlaySense. It was only a good kind of 17 years later or maybe less, 15 years later that we formalized it into a business. And so PlaySense now exists in South Africa. It's a micro school program where we have little little ones, six little ones coming to a teacher and we then connect them all together and, and they play an imaginary play program each day, which is the most incredible program for young children. And so that was really how PlaySense started. Parallel to starting PlaySense, I developed the ParentSense app. And that's been a whole nother journey. So I effectively have two businesses I am involved in at the moment, PlaySense, which is the ECD program, and then ParentSense, which is the baby application. And so, yeah, so right now, when your question earlier was, how how do I juggle it? Right now, the juggle is yeah. really real. I'm not writing a book at the moment, but I've got two businesses that I'm running, which is, which is pretty full on. And I really appreciate you being honest and vulnerable about when you, when you sold Baby Sense, because I think a lot of parents who are going through that, where they are working parents and selling businesses, it's really good to know that, that, that they're not alone. Mm. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I know it was a very dark period in my professional life, letting go of baby sense. But, you know, I can remember I had an amazing mentor at the time and he sat me down, Tom, and he said to me, Meg, you won't believe this now, but what lies on the other side of this exit or of this sale of business is going to be way bigger than what baby sense is. And as it turns out, that's exactly what's happened because parent sense, um, the app is available on the app store and on Google play and is a global product. Now Uh, we've had over 52,000 moms downloaded since we started last year. And that is ended up, that's a really, really big business. It's going to move into the health tech space. So I think long-term, 
he was right. Um, so much more on the other side, but the actual letting go was, oh my word, was it hard? I can imagine, but trusting your gut always pays off. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So this is the very first episode, really getting to know you, Meg. What can we expect going forward with your podcast? Is it going to be each week? What what can we expect? So yes, it is a weekly podcast. And there were two options when I started to think about the podcast. Was I going to do a theme per episode? In other words, let's talk about sleep. Let's talk about colic. Let's talk about sensory personalities. Or maybe we should follow a mom's journey. And so what we're going to do is we're going to follow a mom's journey from um, birth all the way through to 12 months with her baby weekly. So 52 episodes in which she talks about what's happening for her that week. And I've already recorded a few of them, Bailey. And it's so exciting because the things that come up are exactly what moms in each stage are going to be thinking about. Most of my weekly episodes will be following mom's journeys and the, the kind of hot questions of the week. And then once a month, there'll be an episode, which will be a theme related episode, which I'm really hoping that you'll join me for Bailey. Absolutely. So we'll, you and I together, will be theming our episodes. We'll talk about sleep. We'll talk about feeding. We'll talk about development. And then in, in between those will be the mom journey episodes that I hope people will really get the nuggets from. I think this is going to be absolutely incredible. I am so excited about this. I'm so excited about this journey. And I just cannot wait for everybody to listen to this podcast and just to find out more about you, but also to really just be navigated through this crazy, wonderful, weird, beautiful world of motherhood and parenthood. Yeah, absolutely. And that is exactly what it is. It's an incredible journey. And it is my privilege to be alongside everybody for that journey. Well, I'm looking forward to next week. Great. Thank you so much, Bailey. Lovely to chat. You too. Thanks, Meg. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download Parent Sensor and take the guesswork out of parenting.